Luke, the 17th chapter. I want to read from the Gospel of Luke this morning, at verse, starting at verse 11. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. And he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Now, this is kind of a significant deal because uh, the Jews didn't really have anything to do much with the Samaritans. They were kind of the scuzzy, creepy people. And, uh, and uh, the gospel originally came to the Jewish people. Even Jesus, when he came, said he was there to the lost, sent to the lost tribe of Israel. And then after his resurrection, they were instructed to preach the gospel to everybody, which is how we all got in on this deal. But originally, it was first to the Jewish people in answer to the promises given by God to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Even one time, a lady came to Jesus asking for a miracle, and she was not Jewish. And he looked at her and said, it's not right to give the children's bread to the dogs. Ow. I mean, that's pretty bad being compared to a dog. But this lady was pretty sharp. She said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs from the master's table. And Jesus went, wow, you have great faith. And he gave her her miracle. But without question, they were strictly to the Jewish people and who had been raised in the faith all their lives and this guy who comes back is one of the creepy people. He's a Samaritan. And Jesus asks, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to the guy, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. We are getting ready to go into the Thanksgiving week as... Uh, our Christmas season is upon us, the holidays, Advent, the coming of Christ into the world that we'll celebrate for the next six weeks. Thanksgiving is on Thursday, and then of course Friday is the annual running of the pagans. <laughs> People go crazy. Uh, have fun this Christmas. Don't go crazy, though, okay? Don't spend money like a bunch of drunken monkeys and get yourself in trouble and run up the credit card bills and stuff and... Put it all in perspective. Your children will not die if they do not get the latest, greatest. Okay? They will sound like they're dying. But it is just the sound of dying. It's not actually dying. Okay? So, but I thought it would be appropriate to look at this portion of Scripture as we go into our Thanksgiving week as this man came to give thanks. First of all, as we look at the story... There's these ten lepers. Now, when you had leprosy back in these days, there was no cure. There was nothing you could do. Nothing they could treat. Uh, they were banished from society. They could not be around people. And can you imagine how lonely and isolated you would feel if you had leprosy? Uh, they couldn't be around people. And if people, if they were walking along the way, they were instructed. They had to call out, unclean, unclean, stay away from me, stay away from me. Can you imagine living like that? Where everywhere you went, you had to call out and warn people to stay as far as they could away from you and people would recoil in horror. Wow. 
And these ten guys who are all lepers, lepers got together. They were kind of their own little band of brothers, if you will. And they were desperate, without hope, banished from society. They heard Jesus was coming. Now, by now, the rumors had spread everywhere. Everyone had heard about this Jesus who could heal people, who could touch people, and miracles would transform in their bodies. So when they saw Jesus, they started crying out to him in a loud voice. So first of all, they were isolated. They were distant. They were separated from the general population. As I was reading this, I couldn't help but think of how we are in our condition without God. Without Christ in your life, make no mistake, you are isolated, separated, at a distance from God. You cannot get near to God. The Bible says our sins separate us from our God. The good news about these guys is they were aware of their condition and being aware of their condition were able to call out for help. The problem with so many people when it comes to the area of sin in their lives is they are not aware of their condition. They think they're just fine. You know, I'm not so bad. I'm okay. You should see my neighbor. They're horrible. You know, my in-laws, look at them. You know, they're disgusting. I'm not such a bad guy because what they do is they compare themselves to all the other lepers around them not aware of the fact that they're very, very far from God. Paul wrote about this when he wrote to the Ephesians in his epistle, uh, reminding them of what it was like before they were Christians. He says, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel. You were foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Without Jesus in your life, despite your intentions, despite your best hopes, despite how nice you try to be and how much you give to the United Fund every year. Make no mistake, without God in your life, you are desperately lost and in a terrible, terrible condition. The first step to salvation is to realize, I need help. I am. You know, the Bible says the gospel uh, came to people. The word for gospel, it's a religious word or a non-translated word, which literally means good news. The gospel means good news. Why is it good news? Because when you're in trouble and you get an answer to your trouble, that is good news. How many of you could use an extra $10,000 this morning? All right, so if Pastor Lathan gave you $10,000, <laughs> there you go, brother, pull it out, come on. That would be good news, right? Because you need him out. 10000 would be great. That's good news to me because I could use. But if you're in a position in life where you don't really need him, everybody likes him, but it's, you see that the reaction is different. You don't feel quite so desperate because, well, I don't really need it. It's nice, you know. But when you're in a place where you need desperately, man, you know, you know what it's like to be where even $100 would be good news. This is when you're in deep need. See, these guys were aware of their need. The reason the gospel is called the gospel, that it's good news, is because those of us who become aware by God's grace at how desperate and hopeless we are without God, and you hear that we can know God through Jesus, this is great news. You know, I put people without God into 
two categories. Happy sinners and miserable sinners. Uh, I was a miserable sinner. A sinner without doubt. (laughs) But very miserable. I hated it. It was awful. I felt empty. I felt alone. I knew something wasn't right. I had friends who were just doing as much partying as I was, but they seemed to be totally content in their miserable state. You know, those are the people I feel the sorriest for, the happy sinners, the ones who don't really think they need God. They're not even aware of the desperate leprosy that is in their souls. Thank God when you're able to all of a sudden realize, man, I need help. This isn't working for me. The condition I am in leaves me desperate. It leaves me isolated and away from God. Number one, they realized they were isolated. Number two, they cried out. They called out. They asked for help. Jesus, help us. Help us. As the scripture in Acts, the second chapter, a very famous scripture, says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This terminology is used over and over again in the New Testament. This idea of calling out to God. If you will call out to God, he will respond. Why don't more people experience God in their lives? Very simply, they do not call out to God. They cry, whine, bellyache, curse at God, blame God. All kinds of versions of that, but in terms of really coming to God... And calling out, saying, God, help me. That's where you got to start. Now, what's interesting is the next thing was, was kind, of, kind of a strange thing. They were isolated and desperate. They called out for help, but then they got an answer they probably weren't really expecting. Stop and think of Jesus' answer. It's a little bizarre. They're crying out, Jesus, have mercy on us. He's the great healer. Jesus hears them, notices them, and his answer is... Go show yourselves to the priests. Hello? Why? Who cares? Now the good news is they did it. See, that's the good thing about being desperate. When you're really desperate, you'll do whatever you gotta do. You know what I'm saying? When you're really desperate in your soul, you'll do whatever you gotta do to really get God to move in your life. These guys went and said, okay, we're gonna see the priests. Wasn't exactly, I'm sure, what they were expecting to hear. But oftentimes when you read in the Bible, God told people to do things they weren't really expecting to hear. And it messed with a lot of people. We see in the Old Testament, we see in the New Testament. One time Jesus prays for a guy to get healed and he spits in the ground and he makes mud and sticks it out on their eyes. I, I don't think he was expecting that. You know, one guy in the Old Testament, great warrior, comes to Israel to the prophet to be healed of leprosy. Again, leprosy. And he comes, announced with his big fanfare, comes up to the door of the prophet, Elijah, or Elisha, one of those two, and uh, Elijah doesn't even answer the door. He sends his prophet, his, his, his manservant. And he opens the door and says, the prophet says, go wash in the Jordan River seven times, and closes the door. Well, the guy's ticked off. He's furious. First of all, the guy doesn't have the courtesy to come see me. I'm the great warrior. And he walks away in disgust and anger and One of his guys got through to him. He said, listen, if he would have asked you to do some great quest, wouldn't you have done it? Yeah. Well, why not do the simple thing he asked you to do? And he said, okay. And he went and he 
dipped in the river seven times, seventh time it was completely healed. Oftentimes we hear things we're not expecting to hear. Jesus talked about this as an analogy in John the third chapter verse 14. Jesus said, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man, talking about himself, must be lifted up, talking about himself on the cross. What is he talking about? Snake in the wilderness. There's an account in the Old Testament where the children of Israel came into a place and there were poisonous snakes everywhere. These snakes are biting people and they are dying at an accelerated rate. They are freaking out. They're crying out to God. Moses is praying, God... Get us out of this mess. And God's answer was a little bizarre. He said, well, I want, what I want you to do is to make a bronze snake and stick it up on a pole. I call it snake on a stick. And every time someone gets bitten, have them come look at the snake on a stick and they'll be healed. I mean, I'm thinking, why don't you just get rid of the snakes? Right? I'd rather not get bit by a snake and have to look at a snake on a stick. Okay? But he didn't get rid of the snakes. They still got, and you can imagine, you get bit with a snake, and you go, oh, what am I gonna do? Get your snake bite kid out! I need you to put some stuff on this, and no, no, come look at the snake on a stick! No, are you crazy? I'm not gonna snake on a stick! I got my stuff here! I gotta fix this! And the people who wouldn't go look at the snake on a stick died. But the people who would do what seemed very odd, who came, looked at the snake on a stick, were miraculously healed. I mean, Jesus, this is a great analogy because Jesus said, this is what it's going to be like when I hang on that cross. People will be poisoned by the destructive power of sin and they will desperately try to heal themselves. They'll have their own little snake bite kits. If I just get more money, I'll be okay. No, no, no if I, I just get a little bit more drugs, you know, or, or if I can just get rid of this stupid husband and find a new husband, this will work, you know. Or if I just get, you know, more, more alcohol, that's all I need. It'll fix it, but it, it doesn't fix it. You will die hopeless and without God. When you come and do something that seems to make no sense, looking at the cross, putting your faith in Jesus he will heal you it seems rather odd but yet it's reality so they were told to go do something they didn't expect to do so they go off to see these priests and what you know what else they're going to do they were desperate but as they're going along suddenly they're healed now that's very cool and they weren't just kind of healed I mean, they were dramatically healed. You don't just go from leprosy to not leprosy. That's a dramatic change. Okay? That's like having no hair and all of a sudden you got hair. Okay, all that, you notice that. You know what I'm saying? It's like, wow, something is different. These guys, wow, they knew that they'd been touched by God. And I got to tell you something. When you've been touched by God, you know it. You know that you know that you know. It's called the blessed assurance of the Christian faith. There's an old song, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. We read about it in Hebrews, the 10th chapter. Let's draw near to God with a sincere heart, with the full assurance that faith brings. See, real faith brings full assurance. You know that you know that you know. Real Christianity is not pie in the sky after you die. 
If you are posed with a question this morning, where would you go if you died today? If your answer is, oh, I, I hope I go to heaven. I, I think I'll go to heaven. I'm, I'm kind of wish I'd go to heaven. You're in big trouble. Okay, because when you know that you know, that's when it becomes real. That's the power of Christianity. When you meet the living Christ, when he heals you by his spoken word, you know, if you think, I'm wondering, I'm not sure, you're in a bad shape. means you haven't gotten this yet. Because when God touches you, you know you've been touched. That's the beauty of Christianity. This is the power of the Christian faith. True Christianity isn't just a bunch of, bunch of rituals and stuff and hope when I die I'll go to heaven. That's pathetic, miserable religion. Real Christianity is you know God has touched your life and changed you and it fills you with hope. And blessed assurance fills your soul. It's a wonderful thing to know that you know. And let me tell you something. The person with the experience is never at the mercy of the person with an argument. You know, you run into people who are, you know, very intellectual people and they come up with very bizarre scenarios and questions about faith, trying to disprove God. And oftentimes people say, wow, I don't have answers to these people. What should I say? You know, look, the reason you don't have answers is who thinks up some of the stupid things they think up? You know. Well, if there is a God, can he make a rock so big that he can't pick it up? Who thinks about such stupid things? You know what I'm saying? And you might not have the answer to the intellectuals who try to disprove God. But let me tell you something. When you know that you know, when you have the experience, you're never at the mercy of the person with an argument. You may not be able to answer the argument, but it never changes the experience. Okay? For example, this morning, I have a $5 bill in my pocket. Now you can tell me all day long that it's impossible for me to have a $5 bill. You can say, there's no way you can have a $5 bill in your pocket. And I'll just look at you like you're an idiot. Why? I don't feel threatened. I don't feel attacked. I do not feel intimidated. Why? Because I know I have a $5 bill in my pocket. Why? Because the person with the experience is never at the mercy of a person with an argument. If your Christianity is based on hope and argument and debating with people, you're in a bad place, dude. Because when you know, when these guys got healed... You know, it's great because sometimes you read in the, in the New Testament where somebody would get healed and then the religious people would argue with them. They say, well, you can't possibly have been healed. How did that happen? You know, I mean, it's just crazy. People will actually try and tell you you haven't been healed when you've been healed. Hello? When you've been healed, you know. Despite their arguments, despite their reasonings. This is a thing called blessed assurance. And then finally, one guy comes back to give thanks. Now, a couple of things about the one guy, the Bible says. Number one, it says, he praised God in a loud voice. A loud voice. One of the things about when you really get touched by God is one tends to be a little enthusiastic about it. Why? Because once I was blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now I am found. It's kind of hard not to be excited about that. We call our church Celebration Church. People, we gather together and we sing songs. We raise our hands to God. People who don't understand it go like, What's the matter with these people? A little too enthusiastic for me. 
I don't believe in being so emotional. Sin proper. For me, so emotional. Raising your hands and loud singing and calling. Stop it! Stop it! It's inappropriate! Of course, take these very same people and put them in the green and gold cathedral. <laughs> Watch the amazing transformation that occurs! They get a loud voice. They suddenly raise their hands. Wow, it's amazing how these non-religious people raise their hands and shout and scream over a stupid pigskin. <laughs> well, I got news for you. We got something more exciting than a pigskin this morning. <laughs> Pardon us if we are a little loud about it. Not only did he have a loud voice, he was demonstrative. He came and he threw himself at Jesus' feet. It's a little embarrassing. Someone throwing themselves at your feet. Why would he be so demonstrative? You people, you you gave money to the church. You raised 130000 That's a little demonstrative, don't you think? I wouldn't do that. That's too demonstrative. I'll tell you what, when you've been touched by the Son of the Living God, you become a little more demonstrative than you would otherwise. And the third thing, Jesus pointed out, you know, he's the least likely person to be here giving thanks. He's the foreigner. He's the Samaritan. Where are the people who knew about faith all their lives? Where are they at? But then the least likely person comes to give thanks I dare say if I were able to take the time this morning and hear the stories here of you and your family I bet a lot of you would probably would have been the least likely person in your family to be sitting in church today you might have been the really rotten one in the group I don't know maybe you were the person people would have never thought your friends oh my goodness gracious I'd have never thought you'd have become a Jesus freak what are you doing in that church you know but oftentimes it's the least likely person, as in this story, who comes to give thanks. And let me encourage you this week as we go into Thanksgiving. Be thankful. There's no question the other nine guys were happy. It would be inconceivable, it would be impossible to imagine they were not thrilled beyond description to suddenly be completely whole. But see, there's a difference between being happy and being thankful. I dare say lots of us this morning are happy. Happy we have homes. Happy we have jobs. Happy for our circumstances in life. My question to you as we go into this Thanksgiving week is, are you thankful? See, I'm happy that my wife still likes me. <laughs> I don't know why she's still alive, but I'm very grateful. I'm happy that you all come to church. Not only sure why you listen to me, but I'm glad that you do. There's all kinds of... But are you thankful? When was the last time you looked at your husband and said, Thank you for everything you do. For the work that you do, the efforts you make. 
When was the last time you actually looked at your wife, even though you're glad she's there? There's a difference between being glad. I'm glad. I'm not asking you if you're glad. You're an idiot if you're not glad. When was the last time you looked at her and said, I want to thank you for what you do in my life. I want to thank you for being the woman you are and investing with me and building a life. When was the last time you thanked people for what they do? After this service and you go to collect your little rugrats wherever they may be. Say to the person who's been juggling them for the last hour and say, thank you. Well, I'm glad they do. I'm sure you're glad. Do you see the difference between glad and thankful? They were all glad. Oh, the nine were just as glad as they could be, but they couldn't possibly be bothered to say thank you. Let's not be like that. Let's be people who are marked by the words thank you out of our mouths. Thankful to those who serve us. Thankful to those who love us. Thankful to the God who blesses us. I'm going to invite the ushers to come at this time to get ready to serve communion as we bring our service to an end. The musicians as they come back up this morning. Where are you at this morning? Are you just glad? Or are you thankful? And in no greater area should we be thankful than in God's grace in our lives. Jesus' sacrifice on that cross. And where are you at with what I was talking? Do you know this Jesus? Are you aware of your desperate condition away from God? Are you willing to call out to Him so that you can truly experience His grace in your life? So it changes from, I hope when I die, into I know that I know that I've been touched by the living God. If you've never really experienced God in that way, I'm going to invite everybody to bow their heads in a word of prayer. We're going to pray a prayer together. And I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer along with me. If you will call out to Jesus this morning, if you will look up to him on that cross as Moses did to that serpent on that pole, put your faith and trust in him, you can begin to experience the reality of God in your life today. Let's pray this prayer together. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God and that you loved me so much you went to the cross and you took my punishment I ask you to come into my life and to forgive me of my sins I now surrender myself to you Amen